does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. Hubler has it all. Uh, was that the edited version there, Eddie? Yeah. I got nervous for a second there. Uh, how you doing on a Friday? Jake Query, Jimmy Cook, Eddie Garrison, Colts Rams coming up on Sunday. Joining us now on the hotline to talk about that and more. Of course, you can read all of his work in previewing the Colts game and keeping you up to date each and every day from the activity out at the complex at 1075thefan.com. And listen to him in the morning. The wake-up call with KB and Andy. Kevin Bowen joins us. Uh, Kevin, most important question right away. Let's get to this, and that is from a health and injury standpoint, who now we are pretty confident we're going to see on Sunday and who all of a sudden might be a late addition into the name hopper of those that could be out on Sunday, if anyone. Yeah, that was uh, that was quite the uh, newsy Friday practice availability that we just got in from. Again, Shane Steichen will meet the media here in about 20 minutes. So certainly some clarity is needed. Uh, continued good news on Anthony Richardson's front. Um, he has practiced now all three days. I would expect him to be under center on Sunday. So, obviously, that's the most important thing. Um, no Ryan Kelly after he had practiced for two straight days. Now, he was out there observing. So, you know, is it concussion-related? Is it a different, you know, body part? Did he suffer an injury in yesterday's practice? He was, again, full yesterday. So, I, I don't think that would be the case. But certainly something happened, whatever, overnight. Or he woke up today and felt something and didn't give it a go. So, again, we'll ask uh, – about that Braden Smith had a little wrap on his right wrist area um, he was not practicing and again he is a new name on the injury report and then DeForest Buckner missed his third straight day of practice with a groin injury so I mean anytime a guy misses three straight days that's not a good sign I would say Buckner is one of the handful of guys in the team that could probably miss a full week and still play I think back the past years where you know, this has happened, and maybe he's just used on third down or something like that. But, again, maybe he will be out. So, um, I think that covers everybody. Quentin Nelson is back to practice. He's kind of been doing this thing every week now of missed the first two days, practice Friday, playing the game as he manages his toe injury. So, yeah, again, it's going to be, I would say, a little bit of a newsier injury report slash Shane Steichen press conference here in a, a few minutes. Kevin, in reality, going into this game, which team – the Los Angeles Rams or the Indianapolis Colts? Which one do we know more about and who they are? Um, that's a good question. I probably the Rams, to be honest with you. I, I, I mean, like Matthew Stafford, we kind of know who he is at this point. Um, you know, I, I don't think like they're going to be, you know, one way or the other. I think kind of a one and two run throughout the year and a seven-win football team at the end of the season is kind of who they're going to be. I guess maybe the Cooper Cup addition would change some things. Um, but, again, I'm not holding my breath on them, you know, challenging for one of those wild-card spots in the West, or in, in the NFC. I mean, when you look at the Colts, we've seen Richardson for five quarters, so that's kind of where my answer would be. Obviously, he looked pretty good in those five quarters, but you know, when you look at the one full game he played, it was kind of a tale of two halves. He was really good in the first half. He was efficient. It was quick rhythm. It was um, certainly a completion percentage that we didn't really expect. And then the second half, 
you know, there's a bit of deer in headlights, and there was a stretch there, the one at one of eight, and he threw the you know kind of game stealing interception. Obviously, he plays a quarter in in Houston. He was great, um, but you know, again, it was just a quarter. So I'd say that couple of the Taylor situation, um, and, and I would say the Colts have actually been fairly healthy for the most part through the first you know three or four weeks of the season compared to their, their opponents and compared to most teams. So when that inevitable kind of injury bug arises, I would say. The Colts is probably, even though they've been better than the Rams, I would say they offer a little bit more of the unknown moving forward. Kevin Bowen is our guest. You hear him seven to ten a.m. here on the Fan, the wake up call with KB and Andy. KB, let's under let's operate underneath the assumption Anthony Richardson goes for this next question. Who complicates things more for him if they are absent? Ryan Kelly or Braden Smith? Did Justin Rose birdie the eighteenth? to have that match too. I, see, I saw correctly? tie on the screen. Yeah, I only saw the words tie flash up, so yes. Oh my god, what a disaster of a finish. Uh, sorry, Jimmy, I totally tuned you out on the question. Apologies. <laughs> uh, I've, okay. I've got issues when it, when it, when it, when it comes to the Ryder Cup. Hey, that's that all right. I, I, no problem. If Anthony Richardson plays, let's operate underneath the assumption that he plays. Whose absence complicates things more for him? Ryan Kelly or Braden Smith? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, I would say Kelly just because I think Donald, Aaron Donald would move a little bit more to the interior. But, boy, now that I think about it, I, I would be a rookie out at right tackle in Blake Freeland. You would think Donald might want to test him a time or two. Uh, but I just think, in general, it's the communication. It's the guy that, you know, you snap directly to. I would think Donald would want to live a little bit more in that Will Fries wesley French combination at center and right guard, um, but still, yeah, I mean, a, a rookie getting his first offensive snaps, um, you certainly don't don't rule that out. So, I mean, the Colts have had a really strong bill of health with their O-line. I mean, Kelly had missed one game. You know, the Rams, in all likelihood, they're going to start a backup offensive tackle. That'll be the fourth straight week. The Colts have faced one of those. So, again, the Colts have been in a better shape O-line-wise. But, yeah, I, I would say Kelly – over Smith. I mean, it would still be Wesley French's second, you know, career start. Um, but this week, you know, this late in the week, too, I think you wonder, like, how much could the Rams all of a sudden alter their game plan? I mean, certainly I would think you'd make some tweaks and some adjustments to it, given that these would be some notable losses if indeed they don't give it a go. Uh, but still, at this point of the week, I guess the Rams were getting ready to have their final practice of the week, but obviously a whole a big chunk of the game plan has already been installed and, and, and practiced. You know, the position for the Colts, to me, Kevin Bowen, that is, I, I think, still kind of the most fun to watch, but but you watch it more nuanced than I, so I want your opinion on this. It, it seems like going into the season, we knew that they had probably uh, a spoil of riches at the tight end position, and yet it seems that it's still, regard like you could pull any of those names out of a hat and, and give a solid argument as to why they should be the one getting the most snaps which one if any to your thought has separated in any way shape or form or are we just going to kind of continue to see a rotation yeah I would say none of them have separated themselves just yet and I mean is that because they're all playing well or because they're all stuck in the same mediocrity uh, I'd probably say the latter Uh, you know Moelle Cox I think is an interesting name Jake to bring up because you know, right now, basically how the Colts have operated at tight end this year is they've got four healthy guys, Mo Alley-Cox, Kylan Granston, Drew Ogletree, and Will Mallory. One of those four have been a healthy and active through the first 
three and now, you know, four games. I expect one of them to be inactive on Sunday. Well, Jelani Woods is due to come back next week. And, you know, he's the guy that, you know, I think a lot of people would label as maybe the most intrigue or the most possibility at tight end. So assuming that he shows that or gets there, that's going to knock another tight end. If you just go off those numbers, you know, to that inactive list, potentially cut list. And, you know, I was looking up some numbers on Mo Ali Cox from, you know, going back to last year. If you look at the last year of football for him, he's had 10 catches in 16 games. Um, you know, he's playing 30-ish snaps a game. And to have gone, you know, half those games without a catch and only have 10 catches, I mean, I know he probably gives you something from a veteran standpoint and from a blocking standpoint, but still, Shane Sykin's got no ties to him. And I know Chris Bauer's a huge, huge fan, but I'm just curious how that one is going to play out you know, when Jelani Woods gets back. So, again, I don't think anyone has emerged. I I don't want to act like I'm, like, totally down on the group because I do think Ogletree and Mallory have shown you some flashes. But, you know, finding that consistent guy right now, I mean, if you're looking at it from a pass-catching standpoint, it's Michael Pittman, it's Josh Downs, and then it's a massive drop-off. Kevin, when I look at the injuries stacked along the offensive line, and particularly after the loss to Cincinnati for the Rams, if I'm a Colts interior defensive lineman I'm kind of licking my chops at the opportunity building off that impressive performance against the Ravens to kind of feast on Sunday it feels like the type of game where they need another statement though do you feel it the same way like I need them to be able to take advantage of the disadvantage on the other side to another dominant tune like they did against the Ravens do you feel that same way? And if they fail to do so, does it say more about the depth of the Rams' offensive line, or would it say more about a missed opportunity for the Colts' defensive front? Yeah, I'd probably say missed opportunity. I mean, I, I think it's a it's a big thing to bring up Jimmy for Sunday because Matthew Stafford does get the ball out so quickly, and if you give Stafford time, I mean, he has put up a Hall of Fame caliber career. And to me, that's like the biggest key on Sunday. I, it, when you look at the Rams, there's a little bit of Stafford, Donald, and the Misfits, really. And I know that's kind of underselling some of their other guys, but they've had so much turnover in the last two years. And and, and I look at Donald and Stafford so far this season, and I don't think they've played at, like, the Hall of Fame level that they have had stretches. Obviously, Donald more than Stafford throughout their careers. And I think as long as they don't play like they're in Canton on Sunday, then I think you should win that game. But – you know, for the D-line, I think there will be bigger and harder tests, like, later in the season. Again, they've played a whole lot of backups. I think if you include Sunday, I think it'll be seven or eight backup offensive linemen they've seen this season. I'm sure there'll be weeks where the opposing offensive line has all five healthy starters or maybe four of the five and the one missing is, like, a right guard and not a left tackle. So, um, to me, I, I look at it as bigger challenges await, but as far as Sunday's concerned, given the quarterback that you're playing and the success that he can have, I would say that it's you know just important for your D-line to continue to do what they've done. And if they don't, I think that's how the Rams make this pretty interesting. You know, Kevin, I mentioned this yesterday. When you're around it, like just in terms of media availability and practice, you know, you and I talked about the fact that when we had Shane Steichen on, I think it was when we were at the Combine. We had him on the morning show when I was doing the mornings with you. And, you know, he is all football, right? I mean, that was the narrative. It was like, man, this guy is just locked in. But, and that was maybe a challenge for us in terms of doing like an interview with him and drawing personality out of him. But when it comes to the coaching, you know, what his job is, 
it seems like an asset because it does seem like he is pretty locked in and kind of unflappable and it's easy to forget that this is a guy that's in his rookie year as a head coach because he seems to be very in control of the moment does that perception carry over to away from the things that we see in terms of the television coverage at a game yeah, I, I think he's a pretty cocky individual, but doesn't do it like in a very arrogant way. I, I think he's got a like me a strong amount of <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think the Shane Sykin take query comps there. Um, I, I just don't know if I've, I, I've I've gone down that path just yet there, but um, in a smooth transition to what I was going to say, I, I feel like with Shane there is a a confidence and almost an aura about him that guys just really, really appreciate. Um, and, and those would be his players, obviously. And I remember when the hire was made, you know, the question was like, wait, is he going to be more Frank Reich? Is he going to be more Nick Sirianni? And I think outward emotion wise, it's more Nick Sirianni. But I also think watching Sirianni go through what he went through and being such a big part of that. And by that, I mean, Sirianni, taking over as head coach, becoming a play caller in Philly, deciding that he can't handle all of that on his plate halfway through his first season, giving up those play calling duties to Sykin. That was a great learning experience for Sykin to sit there and say, man, when I become a head coach, how am I going to combat that? And while I think he's got some fire, I don't think it's like crazy. Like, I don't think we're going to see Shane Sykin yelling at opposing fans after a game like Nick Sirianni did you know, here in, in Indianapolis. And, and I bring that up to say, I think Shane is in pretty full control about knowing and confident in all the things that are on his plate, which are a lot on a game day. And I think we've already seen that this year, obviously the play calling stuff, but I mean, even just the little timeout game that he's played and the in-game management stuff that he's played, like, again, those are little items that, um, I don't think every coach would maybe feel totally confident in and maybe two to three games into their NFL career wouldn't feel confident in, but Shane just strikes me as a dude that is confident, thinks he can handle it, and has got everybody on the same page. And who knows? Maybe there'll be times where it is a little bit too much, but for the most part, um, I would say that you know he feels pretty good about where things are at. The Fan Zone Kevin Bowen is our guest. KB, if you were to give a piece of advice to Anthony Richardson or if you were to ask Shane Steichen what the piece of advice would be for him in terms of his play style or in terms of anything to try to like he mentioned that he needed to stay more locked in on his touchdown run where he got the concussion like he let up a little bit you also don't want to over give advice because you want him to still be him you can't fully prevent concussions but if there's any piece of advice you're giving to him to try to get healthier on the fly or prevent injuries on the fly is there anything you can do yeah I mean it's a great question I think there's such a hard answer to find with it I mean you know, do you try and say to him, hey, man, let's be a little bit more cognizant of, like, time and score and, you know, second and seven of a scoreless game on the opening drive if you're scrambling. You know, maybe it's not something where all of a sudden you just, boom, you know, scramble for, you know, 13 yards and take a safety head on. Like, like maybe there's not something that you do. And, and I, you know, to be fair, I don't really think he's done a lot of that, you know, even on the touchdown run. Um, you know, to me, it's scoring a touchdown. It's a little bit different than a scramble, like in the middle of the field, early in a game. So maybe some of that of like it's okay to go out of bounds, it's okay to slide in the middle of the field. 
that would probably be where I would stop with that because obviously his game, his run element is such a great asset, something you want to have, and it's why part of the reason why you drafted him for overall and and all of that. So, yeah, again, Jimmy, it's a great question. I, I just don't know if I have like a great great answer for that. Some tweaks, sure, but you know, overcoaching that, I think that now all of a sudden it becomes quite the mental challenge for him. Kevin, in conclusion, because I know you got. Uh, work to do here in terms of Shane Steichen's availability, but real quick, uh, for those that are unfamiliar, on the morning show when I was on with you and Mark Dykton, we at the beginning of the baseball season made a three-person wager. We each got to pick a team that was projected to go under 500, and whichever one won the most games got a six-pack of PBR chipped in by the other two. Uh, I took cute fellow, the Baltimore Orioles. They won their 100th game last night. They are the division champions. You took the Oakland Athletics that I think are like 42 and 118 or something like that. Uh, Mark took the Arizona Diamondbacks, which hung around for a little bit and then hit the wall in turn two. Uh, when when do I get my PBR? Wait, I thought we were supposed to pick the team that was going to be closest to their win-loss over-under. That, that, <laughs> no, no, sir. No, that's, yeah, that, good try. Okay. Do we have a clipped-out audio of that? Um, yeah, I know. It did kind of hit me on Wednesday or Thursday whenever the Orioles clinched of like, oh, my God, I do owe Jake some beer there. So, uh-huh. yeah, I'm going to wait till the season is officially complete before, but, yeah, now that I think about it, uh, the liquor store on the way home could be a stop for well, more than one reason. And unfortunately, Kevin, for the cute fellow Baltimore Orioles, they might be sitting with the Oakland Athletics watching the divisional round of the playoffs or something like that. You know what I mean? I mean – uh, although I guess maybe they're in the division round, but the ALCS. I mean, we'll see if they actually advance through. But uh, fun year Congrats. for the cute fella. Oh, thank you. Thank Congrats. You. Yeah, I think I only. I think you only clipped me by about sixty games. So <laughs> congrats, congrats to your Orioles on that. Yes, it will be. Uh, it will be waiting for you probably on Monday. All right, appreciate it. Have a good weekend, Kevin. All right, thanks, guys. All right, Kevin Boone joining us. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Blue Friday on the fan. Always good when our next guest stops by. You know him well as his time occasionally popping in here in the fan studios, the drivepeople.com studios, of course. But you also know him for his work as a Colts beat writer on The Athletic. You can follow him on Twitter, at Romeoville Kid, it is one James Boyd. James, great to have you back on the program. Thanks, as always, for making the time. Hope the Friday's treating you well. I want to dive in straight to Shane Steichen's comments to the media a little bit earlier this afternoon. What was your level of surprise on the element that surprised me the most, which is likely no Bernard Ryman as he entered the concussion protocol. And was there any more clarity as to when a concussion might have been sustained for the left tackle? No, there was not much clarification. Shane Steichen is not one to give a lot of details out, quite frankly. (laughs) So all we have is that he's in a concussion protocol. He wouldn't even rule him out, but realistically, he will be ruled out. I mean, if you had a concussion, say, happen yesterday, so since today, whatever the case may be, it is very, very, very unlikely that you'd be able to clear protocol and all those things and then be available to play Sunday. So that is a big blow to the Colts and their offensive line for sure. And then obviously, Braden Smith was out today, starting right tackle with a wrist injury. You know, no Ryan Kelly. He's in the concussion protocol. So they could be looking at, you know, playing without three of their starting offensive linemen. 
James, realistically, you know, we we talked about this earlier. The concussion protocol itself, a player can enter it a couple of different ways. One would be they are clearly like concussed on a play on the field, which, you know, you can see. The other would be, or another, I should say, would be that the player themselves, as was the case with Anthony Richardson, volunteers the information of, look, I think something's a little off. And then the third is that a a coach or a participant can say, I think he needs to be looked at. In the case of Bernard Ryman, wouldn't one assume that unless something happened in practice, that perhaps something actually happened in the game and there were slow to arrive um what's symptoms because you know like like maybe he just simply woke up with a headache or blurred vision or whatever it might be i mean aren't we to still kind of assume that this would have been a game related activity that could be the case we just don't know without any clarification from Shane Sykin it's hard to say but to your point Jake it is a possibility that that's what occurred that he had something happen you know in that win at Baltimore and then just over the next few days Today, he really woke up and felt um, different. And Shane, not Shane, I'm sorry, Anthony Richardson said it today where he, you know, sustained his concussion against the Texans. And initially, he said he thought it was a headache. So that could be a similar type of thing for some of these other guys where you feel like you just got a regular headache or something, but then it intensifies, whatever the case may be, where you kind of realize, like, oh, maybe this is something more. When you look at the body of work, and it's very, very small at this point, from Anthony Richardson, Jake was talking about this earlier. James Boyd is our guest here on Query and Company. How you're asking him to process on the fly and get better and more efficient at that week by week in a gradual process. There's, of course, tougher tests when you have defenses like the Rams coming into town, like you could have had with Baltimore last week. But now you're asking him to do that without potentially three starting offensive linemen. James how much more difficult and how much more pressure does it put on not just Anthony Richardson, but guys like Zach Moss, guys like Michael Pittman Jr., Alec Pierce, to alleviate the amount of time it's going to take Anthony Richardson to make those reads and get rid of the football, knowing that Aaron Donald could attack you from multiple fronts now without a number of offensive linemen? Yeah. Anthony was asked, you know, what did you learn about Aaron Donald this week? And I actually laughed when the question came out because I was like, who needs to learn anything about Aaron Donald at this point? I mean, this guy is dominant. What else do you need to know? But obviously he did say they have to account for him. And that, that's a factor when you don't have your top guys out there. And I do think that it's safe to say that two of them probably won't be out there and Ryan Kelly and, you know, Bernard Ryan with the concussion uh, issues. And then obviously we'll see with Braden Smith. But I do think that a lot of it has to come down to the quick game. And, and, and to your point, how quickly can these guys get open and, and just kind of help Anthony see things and dissect things and get things done um, fairly fast because if he's holding on to the ball, yes, he's athletic, yes, he can extend plays, but it just creates more, I think, room for, for trouble and hits on him because you don't have that same protection level. So we'll see how it goes. It definitely isn't something that you want to hear on a Friday as far as your you know uh, health status goes for your team, but um, this is one of those things where the Colts are in a weird spot because they've overachieved so far but then they're also in a in, in this situation where they haven't had a lot of continuity offensively because of the quarterbacks being out of the lineup. And then, like you said, some of the offensive line changes. James, if the if there's a juxtaposition at the line here, because there are other, you know, we again, Ryan Kelly, we're, we're not positive. Braden Smith, we're not positive. Bernard Ryman now probably we could say is out. Uh, who does then slide over to the left tackle position and how dangerously 
thin does the line depth become? Yeah, I would have to look back at the depth chart, honestly. I mean, would it be uh, Blake Freeland, potentially? I mean, you know, he's the fourth-round pick, the swing tackle. They did draft him for some of that depth. I mean, that, that's a possibility. But, I mean, we just don't really know. This is one of those things where we kind of criticize Chris Ballard because there wasn't a lot of depth added to this team as far as the offensive line went coming into the season. And early on, it was like, hey, they're, they're playing pretty well. They're playing better than last year. But as we all know, offensive lines tend to get dinged up sometimes. That's what's happened here. So I truly cannot say. Um, I would love to ask Shane Steichen. He would never tell me. Um, so we'll see how it goes. And I guess to add just an interesting wrinkle is, you know, uh, Sam Ellinger didn't practice today. You know, he's got an aggravated right shoulder, his throwing shoulder. So he wouldn't tell us who the third starting, uh, the third string quarterback would be either, just in case. I want to, by the way, totally shifting gears, James Boyd. Let me tell you the guy that I, and I think people thought that I was like too quick, that I fell in love too quick. Um, I really liked what I saw out of Juju Brents. I, I just loved his energy. I loved like kind of his swagger a little bit. And I like the fact that he looks like a guy that actually not only is not afraid of contact, but covets it and is looking for it. And it is really dangerous in these parts to compare somebody to Bob Sanders, who's one of the most popular and dynamic defensive players in the history of the franchise, but he had a little bit of that swagger and edge about him that a Bob Sanders had. Am I am I too starstruck here? A little bit because it's one game, right? But I do think that it was a game to remember. We didn't just look at it as a cliff note, like, oh, okay, he made his NFL debut. When he made that forced fumble on Kenyon Drake, it was like, oh, here's his NFL debut. And then obviously him being 6'3", 200 pounds, very physical person. I talked to him today actually about that physicality. So I guess stay tuned with the athletic, you know, to plug my own work a little bit. But, no, he, uh, his mentality is, is fascinating. And the way he describes it I thought was really cool too. Just He always has this phrase called run through the smoke. So we talked about that today, what that means, and just kind of being fearless. And the way he plays is fearless. And I think that they kind of needed that. And, I mean, quite honestly, he was put in there because of how Daryl Baker Jr. struggled against Houston. And, I mean, 10 snaps in, I was like, yeah, that job's not going back to Daryl Baker anytime soon. Like, it's Juju's now. You know, as a second-round pick, it was probably going to be that anyways. And he's, uh, he's come along strong in that first game, and now he's got to see if he can build on it. James Boyd of The Athletic is our guest. James, prior to the news of how rough the Colts' offensive line would look, that obviously updated with the injury statements made by Shane Steichen to the media today, but prior to that, I would have said that the Colts and their defensive front would have a better chance of success. Even though Aaron Donald's on the other side for the Rams, I would have thought they'd have the better chance for success given the injuries along the Rams' offensive line and the fact that Matthew Stafford was sacked six times in Cincinnati now that the Colts have those injuries on their own offensive line, does this game change now to a fully, to borrow a phrase, rock fight type of defensive battle? Or is there still room for offensive flow for both teams? I think there's always room, depending on how you scheme it. And we've praised Shane Sykin so much so far. And I think that this is going to be a test of, okay, how much can a coach kind of mask when it comes to deficiencies or personnel issues and still be able to have a competent offense, but I mean, ideally the Colts would probably, I mean, with the latest developments with the offensive line, the Colts probably prefer a rock fight similar to what they had in Baltimore, where it's like, let's just muddy the game up. Let's get some turnovers and let's kind of swing the game in our favor that way. Because I mean, the Colts' offense last week wasn't that great, but if they gave themselves a ton of chances, 
with the forced turnovers, and then obviously with Matt Gay being in your back pocket and being able to kick it from anywhere. And uh, I guess you feel a lot better about having him this week, again, because you, you might run into situations where maybe on a couple of drives we don't punch it in. We have this guy who, who can flip the field for us and flip the, flip the name of the game because he is so potent in kicking. How much more of the playbook do we see this week, or do you think, James, that they still keep things – fairly simplistic like like are they slowly taking off the training wheels for anthony richardson even though i realize you know he's been limited and we didn't see him last game yeah i was gonna say had he played all three games fully up until this point i'll be like yeah jake you're right they're probably gonna take the training wheels off at this point we're getting a month into the season he's gonna you know hit the ground running at some point they have to take training wheels off at some point but i do think that there probably is gonna be some some conservative nature to whatever they do because of the personnel issues, the health issues, and then him not playing a lot. I mean, he's played 87 snaps this season. Gardner Minshew, I think, is at like 129 or something like that. I know it's over 100. So I just don't think you can throw a lot at him. Yes, he practiced a full week this week, but, I mean, how much do you want to put on his plate considering that he still has to learn to protect himself as well? We talked to him today, and he basically said he's not changing his his style at all, um, which is maybe what you want to hear and then also what you don't want to hear. So – we got to see if he can handle things from that aspect, too. James, the loom of Jonathan Taylor, or Twiggy as we have called him, is approaching in terms of his looming return next week off of IR. Who knows if he plays, who knows what happens, but it, you can see it now. You're seeing exit signs towards Jonathan Taylor's return. Is there anything that Zach Moss could do from a positive or negative standpoint this week that would impact the level of carries or level of involvement in the offense he would have if Jonathan Taylor is suiting up and ready to report for the Colts next week? No, I think he's proven enough, actually. And I actually think the running game will be really good if you add JT to the mix because Zach Moss, his style of play is sort of that bruising, you know, gets you the extra three yards, doesn't go down on first contact, that type of guy. You add that to a guy like JT who has all those abilities plus the home run hitting ability. I think he would have one of the better running back duels in the league. So I think Zach Moss has proved enough to, to, to show that he isn't just, you know, some fill-in. He's been a really good above-average um, replacement and someone who I think has made the case for if and when JT returns to still be able to get some of those carries. So maybe the breakdown is when JT's fully healthy and back in the lineup, um, it's JT getting 18 carries and Zach Moss getting 12. All I know is that if Zach Moss remains the guy – it's just unrealistic for him to be sustainable at this level with, you know, 30 carries one week, playing every single snap except for one the other week. I mean, those things are just not realistic. So we'll see how it goes. But I would say for all the Colts fans who are looking at the calendar, like, oh, he's going to be back. There's no guarantee. I mean, JT has still given no public indication that he wants to play for this team. And so that's something that you have to consider when you talk about him being reintegrated is you can't force somebody back into a lineup that doesn't want to be there. Do you believe that if Jonathan Taylor is activated and on the roster, that he will be able to play immediately? No. I do think there has to be some kind of ramp-up period. Um, even if he is you know, fully healed and fully engaged, I don't think it would be a wise decision to just throw him out there um, come next week just because he's able to play. I mean, the guy hasn't practiced. And that, that, that to me, is probably a good indication of you know, uh, getting your win back, getting your conditioning back, those types of things. So, realistically, I would expect him to make his return in week six if he, you know, is able to put the whole, you know, you didn't trade me, I didn't get the contract extension, those types of things um, to the side. 
Okay, the other question would be when he does get reactivated, and let's say that he is not traded, I don't personally believe that he wants to be with the franchise, but let's say that he he is and he doesn't have a choice. Is there resentment from the rest of the roster at this point? I think that there will be more resentment towards the team not moving on. I mean, yes, it becomes personal at that point because I – I think last week's win really brought them together. You could just tell that they're all moving in one direction, so you can't add dead weight to the team, no matter how talented he is, if he isn't pulling in that same direction. But I do think there will be some – the players will never say it. Um, there will be some animosity, I do think, just because of you're putting a body on the line. You see Zach Moss go out there last week and limp his way um, through that overtime period to help them win. Um, that's definitely a factor. But also, from a team perspective, you have to question your management and, from, and question your ownership because – I mean, why are you forcing a player to be there who doesn't want to be there? And I think that that's something that players are going to think about. Maybe not so much because they're in the middle of the season, but that's a factor when you're thinking about, okay, how does the team treat our, our guys? One of your star players wants out. You're not going to give him out, and you're just going to hang it over his head that you control his future. That's not helping the team at all. So it's, it's definitely something that's not going to be uh, easy to look at one way, but the conversation gets louder the closer we get to Monday, which is the first day that JT could be activated. Um, to rejoin the team. James, I've been really impressed at this point with Josh Downs and his ability to become, especially early in games, kind of that safety net, you know, receiver for, well, I mean, Minshew, obviously, and then, you know, Richardson. But has he shown enough that defenses now all of a sudden are going to try to almost take him away and, and negate him? Or is he going to be kind of the Colts-like little X-factor guy all year long, if that makes sense? I think it's the latter because you want to take away Pittman. You want to take away Alec Pierce because they give you probably more big play ability. But has Pierce shown enough that you have to worry about trying to take him away? I think it's twofold. I think they haven't really used him a lot down the field because a lot of stuff is underneath. But I think it's probably easier to continue to do that if that makes sense. Um, You know, let's say they they key in on Josh Downs. They're not going to worry about Alec Pierce. But if Alec Pierce has two catches against you for 30 yards, that changes the game a lot more than, say, Josh Downs is six, seven yards, you know, um, on, on second down or something like that. Now, I do think that Josh Downs will get more attention, but to his credit, he's dealt with attention a lot throughout his career, at least at North Carolina. I mean, everyone knew he was getting the ball when he played for the Tar Heels, and he still got it a ton and still made plays. So I think he's shown with his sort of water bug ability, some of that wiggle, some of the route running that he's able to get open regardless of its man coverage or zone coverage, he has that versatility to continue to make plays. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Coming into this game, the Colts rank about middle of the pack in terms of rush yards of giving up per game. I know some of that was inflated by the way that, you know, <laughs> in general, Lamar Jackson is able to pick apart defense with his legs. But you have Travis Etienne in week one, and then you have Gus Edwards who gets hurt, and then you have a, a number of different backs by committee for the Ravens. And then you look, of course, with Houston as well. 
how will Kyron Williams test the Colts from a defensive standpoint? He's a lead back in L.A. His yards per carry don't do a lot to jump off the page, but he is able to slowly chop away at defensive fronts. How will Kyron Williams test them? I think he'll test them. I think the biggest test is just can, you know, they do something in the passing game to kind of alleviate that pressure on him. Because quite frankly, running against the Colts right now does not seem like a very good idea and definitely not interior running because uh, Grover Stewart is there. DeForest Buckner is there. They don't like to, uh, you know, be moved around too much. They usually do the moving themselves. So I would not recommend, you know, banking on him to have a huge day but he is obviously something, something they have to account for. And to me, it's, it's can the Colts take away some of that balance? Like, can they continue to kind of be stout in the run game and force the, the, the Rams to throw? Now, Matthew Stafford can still beat you throwing, but you got to take away something, right? So I think that that's one of the things where they've been good at it all year so far. Um, can they continue to kind of uphold that standard? James, who are the three? Now, this is going to put you on the spot here. Who are the three worst teams in the NFL? The Chicago Bears are far and away number one. Okay. Um, the Broncos are number two yep. because, I mean, you got video game numbers being put up on you. And personally, real tangent, I would not have taken the whole knee thing. I would have kicked the field goal. Give me the record. And then uh, <laughs> lastly, I would say the Cardinals because, I mean, yes, they beat the, the Cowboys uh, last week, but I don't think anybody would expect them to uh, go out here and win – I don't, I don't think people would bet on them winning four games this year because they're just not good, and they're actually trying to lose. Could the, okay, could the Titans start to slide their way into the conversation? Absolutely. I mean, if Derrick Henry is not going to be Derrick Henry, who are the Titans? What can you expect from them? But I will say this. You'll know how bad they are depending on how things go against the Colts here in a couple weeks because I think that you know, no matter how good or bad things are going in Tennessee, they always have the Colts' number, it seems like. So I think if the Colts can get over that hump, maybe it's a sign of where the Colts are and also where the Titans are with their team because it seems like whatever Mike Rabel has, he's able to just make them mean, and uh, they're just able to out-tough the Colts. So we'll see. Okay, who are the four best teams in the NFL? Four best teams in the NFL. Um, I would say San Francisco, Kansas City, no order, um, Philly, and then I'm trying to think, the Lions. Give me the Lions. Over my so so you're not sold yet oh, on no, Miami. I'm taking that back, actually, Miami. I'm sorry. Yes, Miami's. See, I, I phrase that. I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll take out. Uh, I'll take out Kansas City. Actually, I personally. Okay, now, okay. all right. Those are fighting words. What those are? I personally yeah, I think for you, Jimmy. <laughs> I think Miami is the one of the teams that we know are really good. There is always Jimmy, or excuse me, James and Jimmy. There's always a team that starts out like a house of fire and then water finds its level and you look back in November and you're like, gosh, you remember when we thought so-and-so was awesome? And and I'm not saying that Miami isn't really good because they are, but I feel like Miami doesn't have the depth to be able to sustain if there's any injury at all at a couple of key positions the way the other teams do. If I had to pick one of those four or five that I think could level off, it would be Miami. James, your thoughts on that? I don't know, man. I think they're legit. I think that the, the, their top-end talent, like how talented their skill position players are, how creative Mike McDaniel has been so far, I'm a believer in them for sure. No, no, no. What I'm saying is, what I'm saying is, I don't disagree with that, but what I'm saying is I feel like it's two or three players for them that are 
really out of this world right now. And if one of those two or three guys goes out, they come down to level really hard, whereas the other teams have a schematic design and a depth that allows them to overcome some of the topsy-turvy nature of the season, if that makes sense. I see what you're saying, but I actually disagree. I think Kansas City without Travis Kelsey is an awful team. Um, we saw that. So <laughs> that that would be my, my caveat for, like, if an injury happens to a player. I mean, that's every team. I mean, part of being a good team is being lucky enough to just stay healthy. So, um, again, if I had to pick my top four realistically, it would be Miami, um, you know, Philly, San Francisco, and Kansas City with the Detroit Lions being my dark horse. But um, injuries – they could happen to any team and change any team. I mean, if you take A.J. Brown or Devontae Smith off of Philly, are they the same team? Yes, they have depth, but um, I think it's, it's just how the nature of the, the game goes, and Miami deserves a lot of credit right now for sure. I mean, it is amazing what Miami's doing. I mean, don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. It just seems... I mean, they got Sean Payton looking like he can't coach after all the trash talk that he you know had about <laughs> different coaches. I'm like, man, this is about as bad as it could have went for you. You know what's Seriously. weird about Sean Payton? Two things weird about Sean Payton. Number one, I was on a flight to New Orleans once, and due to a snafu in my travel, they put me in first class, and Sean Payton was in coach. I always thought that was cool. Um, but secondly, like, when did Sean Payton suddenly become really weird looking? Did you notice that? Like, like all of a sudden now, he Sean Payton was kind of this like cool, youngish looking, energetic dude, and he suddenly just looks really like tired and battered. Denver does things to people, man. I, I guess, man. And uh, has anybody else noticed that? Now that you say no, it, yes. I'm about to say, I don't know. I mean, I haven't really looked at uh, Sean Payton throughout the years, his, his uh, you know, headshots or anything like that. But I would tell you this, losing ages you, that's for sure. I, mean, I know. I feel like everyone in Chicago is probably like 90 right now, and they're only three games into the season. So my whole thing was that he obviously was looked at as being such a great coach. I'm not taking away the things he did in the past, but to return from like this year off to, to have someone trade for you, and then to come out and be one of the worst teams in the league, clearly, and, you know, have somebody hung on you. I mean, what, what, what can we say about his coaching uh, philosophies right now? And, and as we talk about players producing, is uh, what have you done for me lately league for the coaches as well? And right now, he is looking in over his head. James, the exercise you need to do after you're done with us is put a picture in your mind of what you think Sean Payton looks like and what you remember him to what he looks like. Google Sean Payton, and you'll have the same reaction that I did, which is to Jake's point, like, wow, he, he looks totally. different. I, it's it's this, actually. It's the fact that, like, when he was coaching in New Orleans, like, he was like this – he wasn't Sean McVay level of, like, fountain of youth, but he was an energetic, high energy, yeah. running along the sidelines guy. And, like, now he looks like a guy that's like, holy cow, man. It's just weird. Like, he, he – yeah. you know. I mean, I hope I mean, his health is okay. I don't know. I mean, even – yeah, Pete Carroll still has a bunch of energy, and he's in Correct. the 70s, So, yeah, I definitely hear what you're saying. Um, all right, lastly, in terms of my last question, I asked this of everybody, so I'll ask you, James Boyd. Uh, Monday morning, we come in to do the radio show, and I'm kicking off the show Monday afternoon, I guess I'd say, and I'm talking about a Colts win. It is going to be because the Colts did what? And don't say score more points. No, that's a lame answer. I would say they forced – at least two turnovers and scored off of both of them. Wow. And okay. by scoring, I mean you score touchdowns. So that that's what that would be my, my guess. So like, you think you you've got to you think that the Rams have the offensive ability that you gotta play that you gotta make sure that you're on the accelerator? Not necessarily, but I just think that again with Anthony Richardson coming back, I just I just don't expect him to 
immediately hit the ground running and looked like he didn't miss a, a beat. I mean, I expect some rustiness and then just some growing pains because he's still a rookie quarterback. So how do you offset some of that? You get turnovers, you get a short field, and you capitalize on it. Similar to how they did in Houston. They had the great drive early on, get the turnover, and he scores like one play later. That's kind of how I would expect them to, to be able to pull out a win. He is James Boyd. You can subscribe to his work on The Athletic. Colts beat writer over there. You can follow him on Twitter as well, at Romeoville Kid. James, enjoy the weekend, and I guess be thankful of one thing. You'll have to watch Colts Rams. You won't have to watch the misery that is Bears Broncos. Man, it is unbelievable that the Broncos lost by 50 last week and they're favorite to win on the road. Let's, let you every, let, let, let's tell you everything you need to know about Chicago and why <laughs> my hot take I've been giving you and everyone else since you've known me. Bandwagon fans are the smartest people on earth. You Poor Justin Fields, man. Poor <laughs> Justin Fields. If you're a Chicago fan right now, you jump ship. Are you, uh, are you going to watch Illinois Purdue tomorrow? Absolutely not. Hey but James, no, did I'll, you I'll just find out? Did you just find out Illinois and Purdue played because of that mentioned by Eddie? Yes, truly. <laughs> Eddie's always reminding me of what happened. So, um, no, I have no interest in watching two mediocre football teams go at it. But if they do win, I'll be talking a bunch of trash to Purdue fans. Like I did watch the game. Enjoy the weekend. Fair enough. <laughs> All right, man. That's the way it works, right? <laughs> Indeed.